Okay, I think we're rolling. Can uh, hear your... I got Morse code in my ear. Yeah, that's exactly right, because that's the name of the song. Somebody's speaking to me. Yes. It's one of the voices in your head. Yeah. <laughs> one of the many. <laughs> but... Okay, after a little technical glitch, uh, the voices you've been hearing are my own. Uh, this is Will Rouser with uh, Thoughts from a Lawnmower Podcast. And that other voice that you heard, the only one voice, because we can't hear the other voices in his head, is uh, my friend Mike Bost. Mike, I uh, appreciate you coming. This is really special for me. It's been a treat. We've, we've already had a little bit of, of pre-show discussion and... It's like old times. We just, you know, it's like when we meet at Walmart. That's right. and <laughs> we pause our conversation until the next time and just pick it right back up. I mean, now, I will say that sitting with you on a lawnmower is a little bit awkward. Well. But I'm glad you're on my lap. Well, that's, uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't Not know. really. I don't know who's more glad, to be honest with you. Uh, well, I'm glad nobody anyway. can see this. <laughs> Sorry about that, folks. Well, so, out of the sorry for the visual. Yeah. Um, and, uh. One of the reasons why this is a, a treat for me is because it seems like we just have these never-ending conversations. They they don't end. They just kind of pick up. We just kind of pick up where we left off. And, um, and they probably started about 1994 or yeah, 95. We yeah. started with our conversations. Well, um, it, let's let's uh, let's talk about that. Is is I want to I want to get people to know you. So before we we get to that. Um, Mike uh, is 
a pastor. Now you notice that I don't call him pastor. I did. I used to, um, but uh, he's a pastor. And tell him where your pastor at. Um, it's in the Hope Mills area. It's a church called the Convergence. It's had a few different names over the years. We've been there for 20 years, and uh, in in this current um, situation, it's the Convergence because we had a relaunch about 10 years ago, and just felt like you know it it, it just fit. God gave me it like a year beforehand, and like just everything about it is is what I believe about you know our spirituality and who we are as persons. That things come together, um, and then they go out because there there's a holistic thing that happens and they go out stronger and and so you know it, it's the convergence and we meet um on camden road in the detour uh coffee house building we've been there for a while now we meet in the afternoon so what i say about our churches is that if you like to sleep in on sundays or have you know breakfast with your family on sunday or you have a hangover on sunday we are the perfect church for you because we don't meet until 1 30. if you got a hangover that lasts until 1 30 you might overdid it but I'm not here to judge you. But I'm just saying, we're the perfect church for hangovers or, or sleepyheads. Either way. Well, now, um, one of the things that, and then you told me this reason, you gave me, and I think it's a very sound reason, but why is it that you find pastor as a title a bit of a, a hindrance or uh, you, you, you don't, you prefer people to address you as Mike, right? You know, and uh, now just saying, coming from, you know, old school. Uh, there's that term again. Uh, you know, I, I regarded the pastors in my life as a person that was kind of here. You know, kind of, uh, you know, they, you know, my my dad and mom occupied a. a, a a section of my life and mm -hmm. my brother occupied a section of my life, my friends and my pastor also had that slot. It kind of, right. kind of like the, the boxes that Mark Gunger, if you know who he is, right. he, he talks about in you know, these boxes. So each one had this special box and, and pastors do too. And they, they, there were certain, certain things that I thought about pastors. So that's, that filtered through whenever, you know, I would talk to you and say, well, you know, see pastor mike or pastor or something like that and you told me one time it was in walmart as a matter of fact mm -hmm. um you told me uh that you know just mike just just mike as long right. as you have to so why don't you uh talk about that there's a couple of thoughts that kind of go into that for me one is is that um leading a church is is what i do it's my function it's not necessarily my identity because if it's my function when i'm no longer doing it at some point then i lose my identity so that's all. That's a dangerous thing. I've seen that too right. many times. A lot of, especially with like older soldiers that retire, you know, their identity was wrapped up in what they did in the military. Right. And then when they can't do it anymore, they've lost their identity. And there's a lot of them that will, you know, either either die early or they'll commit suicide even because they've lost their identity, so to speak. So that's that's one of them for me. The other thing is is that, um, you know, especially in our Western culture in the in the last hundred years or so. Um, you know, everybody who leads a church is called pastor, but not everybody, you know, they're called pastor, but not everybody who leads a church is a pastor, which starts convoluting things. Yes, I, I have, as a matter of fact, um, and I'm, I'm going to be very careful when I say this, but I, I have a hard time. I've seen that in, in different places right. where somebody is called a pastor and I'm like, okay, um, I have a difficulty I don't have a problem with the pastor of a church, leader of a church, or even his assistant. Or I don't have a problem with 
calls you know, pastor because there is a position, I guess you could say. But um, well, it was a gift that Christ gave to the church was the gift of apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, right. teacher, and. Um, you know, so people need to be pastored, but it may not come from whoever that lead personality is. Right. But, you know, what their responsibility is, is to make sure that people are being pastored. And I also believe that, you know, because if you look at the giftings, he gave them to the church to equip the church to do the work in the ministry. So, you know, as we're around people who are actually gifted as pastors, we should learn how to pastor better and be able to pastor people because we, we receive an impartation from them. Um, you know, but like I said, what we've done in our, in our especially in our current culture, is that everybody who leads a church is called pastor, whether they are or not. And I think it does a disservice to people that may, maybe that's not their primary gifting. Right. You know, they are responsible to look after people and do those kind of things, but they may be the gift of a teacher. Right. And, you know, and, and you know, maybe what they do best is to make sure that they staff their weakness, so to speak. And right. So like right. and then there's also too the other thing like I'm not everybody's pastor. I'm not look I'm not in charge of everybody's soul. Now now I need to have, you know, I want to see the kingdom populated and I want to see people saved and I want to work the harvest field, but I also like, you know, like we don't even go to church together. I've been in church with you, you know, twice. Once when you came to our church right. back when I first started and then the other times when you got married. So like for you to have to call me pastor and I, I get it because some people it's a it's a it's a respect thing. It's a respect thing. Yeah, it is. But there, but I've been called pastor by people who totally didn't respect me. So, you know, <laughs> you know sorry about that, Mike. <laughs> no, but you can call me Mike and have total respect for me as a person, and not because of that title. And so right. that's just what it is for me. It's just a little weird for I, me. And I, I, just... I, I, and I understand that, and I and I agree with it. Uh, although there are would be, I I don't think like this, but there would be. I don't want to say traditionalist because I don't find I don't find traditionalism necessarily wrong. Right, and we can talk about that. But yeah. I, I I think that 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 there are people who say, "Now wait a minute, now that's your calling, mm -hmm. and you can no more ignore, you, you know, for by you not wanting that name. It's almost like a, a symbol of sh I don't want to say symbol of shame, but it's almost a it's almost like you're embarrassed." And I, I know that's not true, right. but there are people, at least in their thinking, they may not actually say this, but there are, this thinking is that, well, apparently you don't seem to be uh, too proud of your calling. It's like you're running from your calling. And I, I don't think that's fair right. by any means, but at the same time, I understand. Yeah, because that would be a really radical presumption to make that, that when, if somebody doesn't necessarily like to be known as their title because i i did i did um 16 years in the military so i was 16 years as a title and when i came out of there it's like i didn't want any more titles i didn't want to be known by my last name and i didn't want to be known by my rank like it just like i'd done that and i see the value of it but it's not really who i am i was kind of counterculture even in the military like i did it and i was i did it i had a very good career but there's just some aspects of it that just weren't me, but I learned how to do it, and it did. It wasn't something that violated anything in me. But when I came out of there, it's just like, you know, that I'm I'm Mike. That's who I am, and and you know, and and I engage the world, and, and I'm you know nowhere near um, you know ashamed of what I do because if people ask me, I tell them right up. I don't try to find some fancy millennial. Um, description for what a right. pastor is without saying I pastor a church. Right. I, I tell people. It's just that, you know, 
many times I'm not the person's pastor and I may not even in that moment may not even be able to be functioning in that. I might be, you know, working because um, I'm also uh, part of a chaplain corps for our community and I'm in the disaster relief chaplain right function right i don't want people to call me chaplain but that's what i'm doing right i'm not pastoring in that moment i'm helping people learn to be prepared for disasters or right or doing disaster relief work and that kind of stuff so so like you know those titles can almost box us in to doing less than what we really are called to do right you know I, I, they like, don't adequately you know it, it's funny um you should say this because um Several years ago, and for about 15 years, I functioned, and I'm going to use that term, mm-hmm. I functioned as an associate pastor at a church. And I didn't, I was not credentialed. Um, I was, I started off, I started off actually as the head pastor's assistant, personal assistant. Mm-hmm. Um, and to, you know, to kind of take the, he actually lived across the street from me in St. Paul's. And uh, I, he started having me speak once a month and then it moved to every other weekend and then when he departed to to other things i still was doing that so there were people i was actually told this there there were people would talk to me about things because they regarded me as their pastor Mm -hmm. no i wasn't i wasn't a pastor and i i made it very clear that i said that i functioned in that role only for that particular congregation but I didn't have I didn't have the credentials. I mean, I, I had some study and I had some training, but not 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 pastoral training. Not not uh, it was basically it's basically like my guitar playing. I don't want to say self taught, but mm-hmm. you know, I I sat under there were there's plenty of people in my life that helped me helped shape me as a player. Um, you know, I did all the work myself, mm-hmm. but there were people that would say, you know, well, you know, it might be better if you try this, this might, you know, or I'd be like, well, how are you doing that? And they would show me and in case anybody's hearing the flapping of the ears, it's, that's the dog. Yeah. It wasn't me. Um, you know, no, that's not you. You know, your ears aren't that small. Uh, <laughs> um, but I always balked at anybody calling me pastor mm-hmm. because I didn't have the, uh, I didn't have the pedigree. I didn't have the. Uh, I didn't have the, the. I didn't have the college. I didn't have the. Right. And I'm not saying that you have to. Well, even even that, if you hear what you're saying, it's almost like, in your case, you were staying away from it because you didn't feel like you were qualified, even though you were doing the work of a pastor. Right. Right. You you didn't feel qualified, or you didn't feel like you had the pedigree. And, and if you think about the pedigrees, and I don't, I'm not, I don't want to bang on education or any of those kind of things because you know I, I believe in being educated and being forever learners that's what disciples are they're forever learners who are disciplined about learning um but you know many times you, you know people are going to uh places to get taught to do certain things with be a ministry leader of some sort and maybe the person is teaching them as a teacher and that's really who they are and that's all they do like they really stay in their lane of teaching how can they impart to you the ministry work of a pastor right they can teach you how to be a teacher which is might be why we have a lot of pastors who lean heavily into teaching i'm not you know i, I don't yeah. even want to get into that one because that's a whole rabbit hole that's and and nothing is absolute except well you know i could have easily <laughs> i could have easily called this podcast the rabbit hole because ah. um you know that that as a matter of fact it's interesting i didn't even i didn't even properly 
engage the audience, whoever might be listening. Uh, I didn't even probably because part of this is because you know uh, I've explained it already in my in my first episode, but I I think it's due to remind to to be reminded every now and then. You know you know what it's like to when you get on the lawnmower. You know, you get on your riding lawnmower, and you know I had a yard that required two hours worth of you know mowing. Mm-hmm. So all you got to do is think, and you know for me that would be blissful. You know, it, I can I mean, get lost in my own head. Oh uh, yeah, you know, and I can too. And there's I know some people out there would probably say, "Well, Will, you got plenty of space up there." But um, so I'm I'm beating people to the punch, including you, because I'm sure that would be a line that you, <laughs> um, that will eventually come out of your mouth, um, but. That's the thing that that there's these these random thoughts that come, you know, whether it be, you know, it, and it could be depending on your mood. Maybe it could be things that you're thinking about. You want to tell that person, you know, that that really ticked you off at work, and you know, well, or you know, maybe somebody said something cross to one of your children, or something like that, or maybe maybe at church or something like that, and you're like, okay, this is how I'm, you know these are the things that, that I should have said mm-hmm. or, and they're not always good thoughts, right. but sometimes they are productive thoughts. Sometimes they are like, cause sometimes you go like, yeah, I'm glad I had a chance to sit here and think about oh, this. Yeah. Because I learned that years ago that the best thing for me to do is, is not to respond out of a heightened emotional state because I'm going to say something that's either going to be hurtful or it's going to be mean spirited and hurtful or whatever. Whereas when I've given it some time and some distance, maybe a day or so, and just kind of thought about it, my response after that is totally different than what it would have been in the heat of the moment. Right. It's just more productive. Or at least, at least the essence of what you had to say, you know, because sometimes the essence of what we have to say, it's still, you still might be right, right. but no one is going to receive it uh, if they're, if you're just doing it to lash, mm-hmm. and I mean I get that I, <laughs> I've done plenty of lashing out in 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 my time, but and I, I'll even say this I think there are people in this world and I'm sure there are plenty that disagree with me. You might even disagree with me on this. I think there are people that need to get a good tongue lashing, okay? Mm-hmm. And they they need to they need to understand that they're what they're doing is evil or damaging or destructive right, and or, and it needs to be confronted. It needs to be stopped. Mm-hmm. I mean, and there are people that you cannot reason with because they've already decided in their mind that this is the course of action they're going to take. They do not care the destruction that they're, that, that they're causing. Matter of fact, they live for that. Mm-hmm. And those people need to be confronted. And those people, but what I found out is that group of people is a very small slice of the pie of humanity. Most people don't require that sort no, of. No, and that's address. true, and that is true. But having said that, we're not always. We're also not always in the best position to discern that, right? Because sometimes, sometimes, uh, people are probably. It might have been something that I said, totally innocuous, totally. No, I wasn't even aware. It could have been how I said it. I I think that, that that's probably the root of some conflicts in marriages, is that, you know, your your wife comes home, she's had a bad day, or maybe she's had a good day, or you know, maybe there's something that occurred that 
you don't know, or and she doesn't either. She doesn't want to tell you, or she doesn't want to burn you with, or whatever. Or maybe she's forgotten about it, but the the residual effects are right. still there. And so what happens is is uh, you say, well, baby, you know, what do you want for dinner or something like that? I don't care. Oh, okay. Um, and then so you have to decide: is that is that a reaction to her day, or is that is that an attack on you? Right. And you can't always tell. Right. And well, the way the, you actually can, for the most part. By getting to by knowing the person. Well, yeah. So like with my with our with my spouse, like we have that same conversation, but it's flipped. She'll ask me what I want for dinner, and I really don't care, because food is is basically for me, for me food is fuel. It's right. not an emotional experience. I don't really do comfort <laughs> foods, where she does. Right. So she is really interested. Like like um, I was going to dinner with some friends on um, Saturday, some guys, and told her where I was going, and all of a sudden she entered into that restaurant with an emotional um, connection and started talking about them. What are you going to have? And I'm like, I don't know. Half the time I don't know because I'm sitting there and I'm talking to the person. I'm right. not even looking at my Yeah, the menu, menu is almost yeah, and it's it almost arbitrary. And I put yeah. the menu up and I'm like, okay, I want that. Yeah. Because like it's not about the food. Yeah, you're <laughs> you know? but you know, but for a long time that was that would be a point of frustration. And what I had to do is I had to communicate to her, like, look, I really I really don't care because one, I don't want to put you out, so I'm not gonna make you make me something that's going to make you, you know, work harder than, you know, so that's one thing. And then like, I really don't care. It's just like, you know what I like and what I don't like. So if we stay in those parameters, I'm going to probably be pretty happy with that. But, you know, you can like that can be misconstrued in an emotional state or in a more of a self-centered thought process that can be misconstrued. Like either you're mad or why aren't you telling me? Why are you holding back? You know, all you know, right. why don't you ever, you know, why aren't you concerned about the things I'm concerned about? And really, that's not even what it is at all. Right. Because many times what we do is we we filter the world around us by our own uh, lenses and preconceived notions and even where we've been as people. And we don't consider the other person. So like you said, if, if, the, if the wife's coming home from work and you can see a little bit of something on her from the day, whatever it is. Yeah. Frustration, tired, whatever it is. And instead of recognizing that and addressing it in a way that's helpful for her because the conversation is about benefiting her instead of getting what I want, then I'm going to violate her. And right. I'm going to um, make up a reason why she's acting or whatever it is. Whereas if I you know, see like, okay, there's something going on here. Like, how was your day? And if she doesn't want to tell, if she doesn't want to tell me like, okay, but many times they will. And, then, and you're like, okay. So if I'd have gotten crazy about, you know, where are we going to eat? Right. And you don't want to tell me, and I got crazy about that. Then what I did was the thing that was really bothering her. I made it about this, and I actually devalued right. what the real issue is, right? Because I made something that wasn't all that important the issue, right? And it was about me and what I wanted, and right. You know, well, that's, now that's now, detrimental for people in your, when you're interacting. It is with them. true, but you know, I I found this to be an interesting conundrum. So you you talk about you know what you want versus what I want, and. It's not always it's not always selfish to state what you want. Not at all. And um, I, and I know you don't think that, but what I'm seeing and and we're gonna it's kind of leading to something that that I've got. There's a couple of items that I want to kind of talk with you about, and they seem to be a roundabout way, but I I want to try and see if I can't 
navigate this into that. Because this has been our talks for 25 years. I know, right? So, you know, we're going to be all over the map, folks. It's just the way it is. The only thing we're Um, missing is your kids walking around. uh, I know, right. Well, my back, hey, can we get this, Dad? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I trained him good, didn't I? Um, But um, the thing is, is that sometimes I I remember I, I had to have a conversation with my wife at dinner because for some reason I I guess she was having uh she'd been having a rough week and whatnot and you know I my idea was you know take her out to dinner and Mm -hmm. and just hey let's because for me I if I've had a bad day when I punch out it stays there because I can't come home and emotionally vomit on my family Mm -hmm. and I mean, it, you know, she said, well, how was your day? And I said, well, okay, well, this is what happened. And said, sometimes that leads to great, you know, a great, because then I get to, I get to vent, but I don't get to vent. It doesn't splatter on her. It's, it's controlled. I can, I can rationally discuss it. I can, I can say, you know, and, and she can say, okay, well, yeah, that's really crappy that that happened or that that person said that to you, whatever. But or they can speak truth to you, like or yeah, or baby, maybe yeah, yeah. And that's and that's 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 entirely. It's, it can be a voice. Of reason. Uh, it doesn't happen that often with me, but uh, <laughs> um, so, but that she was for some reason she was answering me particularly snarkily. Now, if I had that coming to me. That doesn't entirely surprise me. As a matter of fact, I can even revel in it, you know, if if I've done But if I haven't, I've always had this issue about if I haven't done something wrong mm-hmm. uh, or if I've done something wrong and I'm unaware of it, there are better ways to show me than to just be snarky because all that's doing is confusing me. Right. Okay. So I, I, I you know, she would, she would particularly, and it just happened to be, the events of the week and, and, and it was spilling over mm-hmm. and she wasn't intentionally trying to right. be, but it seemed like some of my questions, even the lighthearted ones, the, the ones that were trying to benefit her, she seemed to be feeling particularly insulted, you know? Um, no, why would you, why would you say that? Or, or really, you know? And so I, I remember I, I was like, cause we had this moment where we could, even though we were in a restaurant, it wasn't particularly crowded. And I was like, sweetheart, I, I'm having a little difficulty with this. I, and I think, I don't think you realize that what you're saying to me and how you're saying it to me, it makes me feel like I've done something wrong. Mm-hmm. If I've done something wrong, you need to tell me so that I can correct it or I can ignore it. But, Right. You know, I need to know what it is. But otherwise, you know, if I'm trying to ask you something, if I'm trying to 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 do something, I, I think I've shown a track record mm-hmm. that I'm not out to hurt you, that I'm not out to just get whatever it is that, you know, get my jollies or whatever. Um, don't read too much into that, folks. But I mean, you know. Just seriously, that that I'm not I'm I really do have your benefit at heart, and when you when you talk to me like that, it tells me that you're unhappy with something. And because I had a previous marriage where 
things broke down rather quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had a hard time with that. Right. And I just said, look, and I mean, I was, I was almost in tears because I was like, you know, I, I sweetie, I don't understand because if you're not telling me what the issue is, I can't, I can't fix it. I can't address it. I can't change it. I can't, there's nothing I can do. And then it, it seems to me that the more, that the more I try to, and then if I avoid it, you know, then that's not helping either. So she, uh, you know, I was like, you need to understand I'm not your enemy mm-hmm. in, in any way. And that's, that's especially hard for someone who has done things on their own for a long time because they had to. Right. So now when you've got someone coming in, uh, I won't say it's a trust issue because that's, I don't think that's fair, but I would say that it's, uh, uh, it's, it's hard to, it's hard to lower those screens. It's hard to, you know, a little Star Trek lingo there, um, because I am an absolute original series Star Trek fan, but you know, <laughs> given my age, um, I'm going to go on record in case anybody wants to debate with me in a future podcast. Captain Kirk can kick Captain Picard's butt anytime, anywhere. I don't care. I'm sorry. That's just the way it is. But anyway, back on. Can the I throw a, a big please? Sure, ball in the middle please. Of that? Sure. <laughs> I always felt Janeway was probably one of the best starship captains. Ah, uh, well, yeah, but I mean, you know. But now I'm just going to say this. You know how how women are always talking about men never ask for directions. Who got lost? I'm just saying. <laughs> who got lost? Okay. Yeah, but where were they going to stop? Uh, for I, th- th- that's neither here nor there. Okay. I'm saying who got lost. Roger. Okay. Now, <clears throat> where were we? Oh, yes. So, at, at any rate, um, I'm trying to funnel this in some manageable way. Uh, there's a I, – I recently re-listened to, in honor of the passing of Neil Peart, um, listened to a track off of um, my favorite Rush album, Moving Pictures. And it's the song Vital Signs. And as you, as most people know, and I've talked about Peart now, this is the third episode where I've talked about Peart. He has such an impact, not only on drummers, but also on lyricists, because he wrote the band's lyrics. Mm-hmm. And they weren't the kind, they weren't the ooh, baby, baby, let's get in the back seat kind of lyrics. They weren't, no. they weren't that at all. You know, close. they were not David Lee Roth's lyrics. Okay. <laughs> and love you, Roth, but yeah. I mean, I, and, uh, but there's a, there's a, there's a line in, in vital signs where he's the, the line goes um, an ounce of perception, a pound of obscure. And I love that line. And it, it struck me in particular because especially in the political climate that we're in, that all people need is just the perception and that can obscure a whole lot of truth. Oh yeah, that they can obscure a whole lot of truth. Now we were talking about we talked about communication, marital communication, but um, well, your whole conversation that you you had with her was you know a lot of times what people will do is that they would react to how they perceive that she's talking to them, and they would react and they would react out of either their hurt or their um, past poor ex- bad experiences and stuff like that. Where what you what you just told us that you did was you spoke truth in love. 
So you, you let her know that you love her and, and you do that every day, but you were able to speak something the truth like, hey, this is what I'm this is what I'm sensing. Right. And, and you're communicating. It was open communication, which needed to go on instead of um, uncommunicated expectations or or not addressing something that really is kind of like, OK, this is a sore spot with me. Can we talk this out and do it in a way that's loving without being condemning or or harsh or mean-spirited or, or whatever. Or it's re- in reaction. It's a, a true right. love. And that's, right. That's probably the, the most base example of that. And and really, if we're thinking about it, like a lot of people, especially, you know, well, dogmatic Christians are, are the worst at throwing that around, speaking the truth in love. They're speaking the truth, but it's not in love. And when you speak the truth, it can be hurt, hurtful and harmful and all those kind of things. But if you speak the truth in love, there are actually some times that you won't address something because of the love. You know, and and it's funny you say that. Um, um, that's gonna go. That's gonna be a great segue into this quote. Now, we're not talking politics here, mm-hmm. okay? But uh, I think there is a. I think we're bathed in this atmosphere, whether it's in politics or in church business or in your everyday life. You know, our walk with Christ. I mean, I I think that I think, and I don't think it's just American culture. I think it's. It's the world over. Uh, I think it man- excuse me. It manifests itself differently in different cultures, right. but I, I don't think the pro. I, I think that a lot of these problems are universal. I'm going to read you a quote. This is going to be. I have these sections in my podcast where I like and, um, but I I can't always pinpoint where I'm going to put them. But this seems to be a good place place to put as my quote of the episode. I have a quote of the episode, and it is. Um, and I kind of want you to react to this. Um, Political correctness is dangerous because it obscures the truth. It allows certain people and groups to avoid scrutiny for destructive actions. And that was by Bill O'Reilly. And I know, mm-hmm. uh, I know Bill O'Reilly can't, I got a good friend who said, you listen to that gas bag, Bill O'Reilly. And I did at the time. And I don't agree with everything that he said, but I always found that, that, that his desire was to, he he really did desire to not be partisan and not be, you know, uh, he, he would always say, you know, I'm conservative on some things, I'm liberal on some things. And I, I think at times, I think he, he really, he, he did try to be as, not only say middle of the road, but he did try to be as balanced as he could. Right. But at the same time, I don't think he was, I don't think he was balanced in everything, but he, he, he even said in, in when he said, look, because he had he had liberal, he even had a liberal co-host mm-hmm. at times, and and he would be like, uh, he said, "Look, not everybody agrees with me. Heck, my mom doesn't even agree with me on everything." And so I'm there are fine times with I that. don't agree with myself. Yeah, well, you know, you know, <laughs> would you like to talk? Would you like to talk about that, Mike? <laughs> no, that one's gonna stay in the back. <laughs> um, so I'm not, but I'm not really trying to talk politics here. But in the in the current environment. That, that we seem to find ourselves, whether it be the political climate or uh, you and I as Christians and, and the church climate, um, there's a fine line between avoiding something out of love mm-hmm. and being politically correct. Right. Well, the, the whole term political correctness you know, takes it away for it doesn't have to be truth to be politically correct. Right. And the, so the, the problem with political correctness is that Whatever you know, the the PC culture is at the time is dictated off of who is the strongest or the most dominating or the loudest, and they get to 
they get to determine what is correct and what isn't correct. Whereas um, I heard, I think it was Ben Shapiro said this um, a while ago. He said that there is no such thing as your truth and my truth. Right. There is the truth. Right. And then there is your opinion and my opinion. Right. And that's what your truth and my truth is, is opinion. Right. And, and that's what happens with the political correctness is, is that it's not necessarily the truth. It's just whatever ruling power is in place that dictates, you know, what you will and won't, won't what, what you won't say. And, you know, what's what's, you know, whoever is the loudest and can enforce their will. Um, or their what they their agenda that becomes the political correctness right and that's not that's not healthy because then you're getting away from what is truth and there's only one truth there's truth and you know what we do with that that's up to us you know and then how that fleshes out and what that does with our lives going forward you know depends on how we're handling the truth you know jesus said you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free and you know, in the knowing of the truth, it's not just the head knowing, it's in the heart knowing so that it, di- it dictates how you live your life. Right. Um, you know, that's in that's where the power of truth to set us free or to, uh, you know, to, to break us away from, you know, things that are not healthy for us comes from is that we, you know, we, you know, for me, I'm, I'm a Christian. So in my in my, you know, this is what I believe. This is my 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 belief set. And it's not just a head thing. It's a heart thing. And it dictates the way that I live. But you know that truth comes from you know the truth it's it's the it's the kingdom of god um and that's and then everything else like if i don't agree with what that truth is you know i don't expect god to change his mind i don't expect jesus to start doing something different than he ever did or the holy spirit to start responding or acting in different than he ever has what needs to change is i need to change so you know knowing the truth and the truth setting me free you know that it comes in and it breaks off like i get into into the word um and, you know, I'm transformed by the renewing of my mind. And I'm renewing my mind by the word of God, whether right. it's the spoken word of God or the, the written word of God, because those two, they do mesh together. And I change my mind according to that. So that, you know, I can say, well, you know, culturally, I'll go ahead and say it. Culturally, you know, in, in our culture today, that it's, it's abortion is legal. Right. That's true. It is. It's right. legal. It doesn't make it right. Exactly. Because, and I agree. You know, and, and that. And you know, for me, for politics, that has a lot to do, you know, pretty much primarily to do with how I how I vote and how I interact with the political culture. Is that you know that issue right there with abortion, you know that thou shalt not kill, you know, or, or not, thou shalt not murder, um, and and all the things that go along with that. And even though it's it's culturally it's 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 legal, and and all those kind of things, I still think in the kingdom that it's illegal. And God doesn't support that. And so that's right. what I try to line myself up with. Now, you know, I'm not going to do the crazy things that we saw probably in the 90s where they were trying to, you know, firebomb and, and, and uh, kill yeah. abortion clinics, all that kind of stuff. Like, you know, because because that that doesn't that doesn't help that just, you're, you're now doing what the enemy would do by taking life. And you can't justify life by taking life. It just you can't. Do well, that. and then of course, Not in that situation. Now, right, right, right. And and see, and see, this is exactly this is what I'm kind of getting at because now someone would argue. I would not argue this because I understand exactly where you're coming from. But someone would argue, well, you were in the military, mm-hmm. so you were. You know, what's the purpose of the military is to kill people and break things. Right. I mean, and you do it well. And uh, but here's the thing. So what you just said would buttress a pacifist argument saying that uh well see you can't you can't justify saving life by taking life and so 
and and there and there lies the conundrum of what I'm talking about right. here is that this a, an ounce of perception is a pound of obscure that you're you're absolutely right you you made I would argue that the the people who did the firebombing or let's let's take this to a uh, I don't want to take it off the abortion issue per se but let's look at the pro second amendment movement mm -hmm. okay particularly what has gone on in Virginia and I I mentioned this in um, my first episode um, kind of loosely but the the thing about it is and I, I've got to make sure that I I I keep this perspective here is it seems like every time we have a pro-gun rally or a, you know we're, we're, we're having this argument in, in the, these debates you know whether it be the Democratic debates you know we know that there are people who are in government who want to they want to confiscate they want to take away our right to keep and bear arms that's 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 what it is let's mm -hmm. let, you know let's not sugarcoat it that's exactly what it is okay but every single time this debate comes up it usually comes up on the heels of some kind of mass shooting right. and you know if there were 10 mass shootings nine of them generally speaking the majority of them are either unaffiliated with a political party or political platform but they're their mindset does line up with a certain mm -hmm. certain ideology. And then you get the one who happens to be a Republican or happens to be claimed to be a Christian or claim to be this. And that's the one that they're going to zero in on. Right. Because okay. It fits their agenda. Because it fits the narrative. It fits their agenda. But we also have Christians, and, and I'm going to shift from that to say this. We have Christians who, you know— Many of us, well, I would say most of us, I would say the majority of us, are doing what we're supposed to be doing in the context of our lives, in the context of our, you know. And you're always going to have this, these one or two idiots who totally misrepresent the entirety of the faith. Okay? And I've always said that the, the, the world already... I won't say that they always necessarily hate us, but they're kind of ambivalent. It's like, you know, the the Romans really didn't give a flying flip about the Christians right. at first. They didn't care. As long as they weren't, you know, they they didn't care. They didn't care about the Jews, how they worshiped. They didn't care anything about that. But when people started, started causing trouble, that's when, you know, that's when the Roman governors were like, Okay, yeah, we need to. All right, so we're just basically we're we're gonna do like your teachers did in school. One person ruined it for everybody. Right. You know, uh, everybody gets punished because one person wrote something on a note that the teacher found or stuck their gum under the desk or whatever. You know, and so everybody's now got is getting punished, and that's that. You know, so the world really doesn't care didn't really care then you get somebody who is a little i'll say a little overzealous or thinks that you know okay god told you to do this but they kind of took the ball and ran with it mm -hmm. and uh it makes it bad for the rest of us mm -hmm. and then the world sees that and go oh you're a christian so you automatically 
They're, in their mind, they're already checking off a box. You think this, you think this, you think this, you think this. And they might even be right. Right. But their context of that is not, is, is viewed through the lens of that idiot who, um, let me clear that. Um, and so all of this that, that we're bathing in, this, this, I have a difficult time. I, I, I often have to, I find myself having to whack through the weeds of misperception right. because somebody who went before me ruined it for me. You know, you know, what I blame this all on is in the uh, 60s and 70s, whenever they did a movie that had Jesus in it, the, the actors that they had playing Jesus were a lot of times they were like, they were emaciated. They're extremely pale, sometimes more effeminate. They're extreme pacifists. Right. And so, you know, like culture got this this view or this perception of what Jesus is. Well, then this is what his people should be. They should be pacifists. Right. And, you know, and, and all of those kind of things. But if you read the scriptures, like there's some things in there that are kind of like you have to really wrestle with it where, you know, he goes into the temple when they're 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 cheating the people out of their money by selling sacrifices, which was against the whole tradition anyway. This, a sacrifice is something that you raise or you earned or you built or you grew or whatever, and then you give that. That's the value of the sacrifice. Right. It's not about going and paying for one at the gate and taking it in with you. And and Jesus' response to them was he made you know a, a whip and he he tore the place up. Right. Or um, where he tells the uh, disciples at one point he's like. You know, if you if if you don't have a sword, take one of your cloaks and sell it so you can have a sword. sword right. Why should they be armed? If they're exactly. pacifists. If they're pacifists and and so and and see that comes from people A, only reading the portions of scripture that they want to. And not Christians aren't the only ones guilty of this, by right. the way. Exactly. Okay. And I mean the world's great about that. You well, know. we want to we want to create a, a, a god in our image and our likeness. Oh, of course, instead yeah. of being created in his image. Who was it? Uh, I had a friend of mine, and I know this this quote didn't originate with him, but he said, um, he told me one time. He said, "Ever since God created man in His image, man's been trying to return the favor." Right. And uh, and it's true, but at the same time, with that being said, and, and it's, I mean, you and I are clearly on the same page with that. With that being said, there are times when I've been, I've said, well, you know, the scripture teaches this. Well, that's your interpretation, William. So I'm fighting a two-front battle here because I'm fighting against a misperception. And I'm also fighting against people who need to believe that I'm wrong because otherwise... They have to dress their own mess. That, right, exactly. And um, that is going to lead to an article... <laughs> that I've been saving for this, uh, and I just got it, and I'm, I'm. It's called the acid of biblicism. Now, do you know what biblicism is? I think so, but go ahead and tell okay. Me what well, you're, you're at least it. by the definition is provided, and I, I thought I was right on when I initially when it caught my eye in the first place. But um, the the Biblicism essentially says that, uh, well, if it's not in the Bible, right. it must not have happened, or you know, it's not okay, or something. you know, that's biblicism. You, know, you have to absolutely that if if the Bible doesn't cover it, we don't need to worry about it. That kind of thing. 
Um, now, that is a little bit more of a loose definition, but I think that's accurate according to this article. And uh, the, the person writes, um, I recently had an interaction on Twitter, which, <laughs> as a side note, I'm going to tell you, I'm not on Twitter. I think it's a sewer, but uh, that's just my opinion. I'm fine if anybody else wants to be on it. I'm not going to be on it. Um, uh, anyways, I, I recently had an interaction on Twitter with another evangelical Christian about whether human life begins at conception. And we're back to the abortion thing. Um, my inter interlocutor argued that since the Bible did not explicitly state that it does, the question should be left to individual Christian consciences. What struck me was not so much the issue at hand. Excuse me. Let me reread that. What struck me was not so much the issue at hand, important though it is, but the methodology that my um, interlock I can't ever say this word right, interlocutor, interlocutor, I'm sure I'm not saying that right, uh, employed, namely biblicism. Uh -huh. First, I was required to give an explicit statement from Scripture to make my argument, and second, any inferential and deductive reasoning from Scripture was disallowed. All right. And uh, now the person says, I suspect the motive for using such a method in this case was entirely wholesome to ensure that we submit to God's word and God's word alone. And I'm fine with that. However, as the argument progressed, it was pressed home to me that how destructive biblicism, biblicism is and what a problem its grip well, in this case, you know, on the British evangelical mind has become. So obviously this is a, uh, a British person. And uh, they, 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 they write this. First, biblicism is an acid in which no aspect of Christian orthodoxy, whether ethical or doctrinal, can long survive. This, because, this is because the, at the heart of biblicism is skepticism. Yes. Now... Um, I'm not going to read the whole article, but that I have I have run into that in Christian circles. Uh, I would have people would argue with me. Well, you know, the Bible doesn't say X, Y, and Z. Well, the Bible doesn't say that Jesus went to the bathroom, but I think we can probably assume that he did. Now, I know that sounds harsh, and there might be some of my Christian listeners out there who are immediately going to turn this off and say that I'm being gauche and I'm being disrespectful to Jesus. Well. He didn't talk about it. Nobody talks about it, you know. Except for you just did. Oh, except I just did. But, um, yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> I mean, you know, but I'm sure, you know, they walked everywhere. I'm, you know, and they drank a lot of water. You know, I'm reasonably sure yeah. that somewhere along the line they had to make a couple of pit stops. He would get up in the morning and have morning breath? I'm, you know, there's no doubt about that, you know. Uh, and I don't. The, the Bible doesn't talk about those things. It doesn't need to. Well, I think one of the things that we've done is that whenever the the, the, the books of the Bible were canonized, um, it's almost like we changed, you know, the church started changing the Trinity to the Father, Son, and Holy Bible. And um, Right. And, and really at the end of the day, you know, the Word was Jesus. He was the Word made flesh and dwelt among men and all those kind of things. Um, and, and I've had I've had a weird thought and I, I don't give it too much space because it's just probably not profitable and not necessary but I, I've often wondered like you know when it came to canonizing the Bible and saying what would go in and what wouldn't and kind of sealing sealing the inspired writings that it stopped 
you know, after they did the last one, I guess we can, we'll just say it's Revelation because it's the end of the book. may not be in the timeline, but for sake of simplicity, we'll say at the end of Revelation. And so nothing beyond that point was inspired writings from the mind of God because, you know, we couldn't do that anymore. And I, I'm, I'm just, I, I wonder, you know, and, and, and I'm not arguing for or against canonization, none of that. But I'm just wondering if, if inspired writings really stopped at the end of the book of Revelation or if there are still inspired writings going on today. Because I read a lot of books and I'm like, wow, now they're using principles out of the, the word many times. Right. And, and what I would say, yes, that's a kingdom principle. Sometimes it's not. But Paul said, you know, sometimes it's like, this is me saying this, not right. necessarily not, God. Not and that's God, in the right. Bible, he says. Right. That. You know, so like, you know, some of the things when you get into those kind of conversations, they become a, a cultural um, construct like, well, you know, the, the Bible doesn't say anything about cell phones or Facebook or Twitter or right. social media. How do we how do we maneuver those in a way that is glorifying to the kingdom? Well, that's exactly like what you just said when you quoted the scripture when when Jesus said, if you don't have a sword, sell your cloak and go buy one. Mm -hmm. OK, now. And why would he tell them to do that? Why would he tell them to do that? I mean, that's a that's a perfectly legitimate argument because they're not going to go but now we're sword. now first of all we're appealing to the authority of scripture right okay for us now for the non-christian for those who who do don't believe they don't give a flying flip about the word of god so that has no authority and i as a side note and this is purely a side note i, I find it interesting that those who on one hand totally disregard the word of god but then they use it when it suits yeah. their need to put you, you know, in your place, to, right? To put, you, yeah, to put me in my place. You know, you throw the Bible, you're gonna beat me with my own Bible. You know, but the the idea that when you saying that because you're pro Second Amendment, or mm -hmm. I'm assuming I, I don't, I, I am. you know, okay, you're pro Second Amendment. Um, I'm pro Second Amendment. I'm pro Constitution, uh, even though I have to admit that I'm not well-versed in every area of the Constitution, but I understand that that's the highest law of the land. And so and I understand my rights as a citizen of this country. Mm -hmm. And so naturally, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pull pieces of Scripture that support, that back my, my agenda, because that is my agenda. But what I try to tell people is, look, my Christianity informs my conservatism. My conservatism right. does not inform my Christianity. Right. Okay, you're getting it bass backwards. You know, you're getting it to the you're 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 taking you're saying that I'm an ideologue first and a Christian second. No. My Christianity informs every aspect of my life. Mm -hmm. So so naturally because there have been plenty of times where I've read in the scripture something that I didn't like, right. and I go, okay, I have to conform to that. I don't like it, but I have to conform to that, okay? Or I may need to ask God for greater understanding. Uh, or I, understanding. And, and, and where he's mostly going to speak to me from, it may not be the Bible. It might be the Holy Spirit. Right, and, and that's true. And, and and I'll even tell you this. Growing up, now, let's, let's go to this one because I know we're jumping, but— I want the natural ebb and flow of the conversation. Right. Okay. So 
Um, and this is exactly what Walmart looked like for us. Yes, exactly right. Forty-five minutes to yeah, an hour, and, and this is what. It and we like. wouldn't even move from an aisle to an aisle. You exactly. know, we just have to get out of people's way. But we would talk about everything. Everything. You know, I think we solved the world's problems like three times over. Um, but the one of the things was okay. I grew up, and I can distinctly remember. I was I was collecting eight tracks at the time. That was a while ago. It was, it, but it was we we had we were already converted to cassettes, but um, I had bought eight tracks A because they were only two dollars at the local pawn what shop. What was your first eight track? Boston. Oh, nice. That's one of my favorite groups. My first eight track I think was uh, Steve Miller Band, Fly Like an Eagle, and right. then I had Book of Dreams. Um, and some other ones. I had, I had, I've got Boston. But, and I got them when there wasn't cassettes. So I was like, oh, original, okay. Yeah, yeah. You know, I bought, I bought, I bought, my first one was Boston. Uh, oddly enough, my, my first, the first, per, or the first uh, format that I had was cassette. Um, I got Foreigner Head Games. That was the first okay. one. And, and Queen Live Killers. I got those two from a friend. My second son. Um, he's a, he's kind of a renaissance man. He's an old soul and all these kind of things. And he, uh, he, he's hanging around with some guys and they're doing some things like, you know, a lot of them are going back to LPs and stuff yeah. like that. Well, he thought he was going to be even more cool. And he told me how he got an A track and I was like, have you listened to it yet? He's like, well, not really a lot. I'm like, I don't think you're going to like the, how the A track work. I said, because the track, the track switch has never made sense. It was in the middle of a song. It would switch track and it would do it every time you listen. And it was just the most jankety way to do music. It's what we had at the moment, and it right. led us into better stuff. Right. But I was like, you're really – and I'm like, but, you know, give it a try. You may actually like it. Yeah. And I can tell you, I, I actually like the fidelity. It was probably a week later. He's yeah. like, yeah, he's like, I got rid of all the A-tracks, and I'm going to LPs. I'm yeah. like, it'll be a better experience for you. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, and, and just as a side note, and I started collecting A-tracks after that because my dad had an Akai – he had two Akai reel-to-reels. Mm -hmm. You remember those? Yes. And one of them had an 8-track player in it. So when my dad was at, not at home, um, I would go and take the 8-tracks, and I'd pop the headphones on and listen to them. Or if nobody was home, because my dad, they're still in the house, the, the four Bozak speakers. They stood about this tall. Mm -hmm. He had them in quad. So, and... Uh, the original surround sound. Oh yes, <laughs> and I remember when I would play them just so I could feel. I'd stand in the center of the room just so I could feel, because I mean it was incredible. But Rick uh, Beato actually said that because um, there's the argument about what's better, the digital or the uh -huh. you know the yeah the or the analog analog. Yeah. And he he said his his um, thought process. He said, well, he said this is what I think. He said that whenever we did the analog stuff when we were listening to albums he said what we would do is we'd go to the record store you would wade through all the records and you'd mm -hmm. find something you liked and so there was that part of the experience and you would purchase it then you would take it home and then you would take it out of the the sleeve yeah and put it onto your turntable and you would take the needle over and put it over there and you listened to that like right you were, what you were doing in, in one that sitting moment, yeah yes you were and that's all you were doing was listening like you just talked about yeah. putting the headphones on and you were lost in the music he said what we tend to do now with music is that you're doing something else while you're listening to music right. because you have headphones in. Right. And it's not the same experience because you're not engaging in the same manner. Right. It's, 
like it's that's not, probably perfectly. It's true. I mean, digital probably is a better quality because they can do all these kind of things with it. Which is some subjective. some would argue. I I think nowadays they are. But um, it was the experience. Yes, that he said it was that the experience that better. Exactly, and um, it is true. I mean, I think you can apply that to a lot of things in life too. Mm-hmm. By the way, but anyway, I you know, I and I just because <laughs> I'm I'm such a huge Van Halen fan. My first, you want to talk about perception? My first exposure to the band was not listening; it was visual. Uh, I'm going to show you something. Now, I went over to a friend's house, and uh, let's see if I can find it on my pictures. I went over to a friend's house. Let's see y'all. Um, but and, any band that's left an impression in our mind at some point, like we probably were visually stimulated by the, what they did, as well as you know auditory uh, stimulation. So, like, like we were talking beforehand about how. Um, you know, David Lee Roth is probably one of the most notable frontmen ever. You know, and he, he may or may not have been the best singer, but he was one of the best frontmen. He's up there doing kung fu and right. flips and hollering and screaming. He's dressed like, you know, some 1980s aerobic, um, you know, person on TV. Exactly. And, but he was very, it was very visually stimulating. I went and saw Iron Maiden. Their whole, their whole production. It was a production. It wasn't. Right. The sound or the music was. You had Eddie up there. You had, you know, you had, you know. Prince. I saw the Purple Rain tour. Uh, There's another. There's another great example of of the the visual. But if I go to see a band like I, I didn't get to see Boston, and they are one of my most favorite groups, and I didn't get to see them until a few years ago, and they're not the same anymore. Like they, you know, well, Brad Delp died, yeah, and and all that kind of stuff, and and they got a guy who's who's good. They found him on MySpace actually. Um, and he's yeah. good, but he's not a front man. So the concert, I was very let down by the concert, even though I loved the music because of the the visual stimulation that was well, there. Well, let's face it. When you go to a concert, the concert, if, if you're just in it for the, if you just want the music, buy the album. Right. The concert is an experience. Yes. Okay. And so, and, and but I'm, I'm, now I can't, for some reason, I can't find the picture that I'm looking for. And it doesn't matter because hey, there it is. Okay, I went over to a friend's house. I was about fourteen. This was before I started playing guitar. All right, and I loved Boston and I loved Journey too. I had Journey, Evolution, was my first Journey eight track, uh, followed by their live album Captured, which I highly recommend. I think it's the best live album out there. But anyway, um, went over to this guy's house. Even better than Peter Frampton Live. Even better than Fra- Frampton oh, Live. Okay. Me. I know. <laughs> well, thanks for coming, Mike. <laughs> um, but I went over to his house, and he, his, I guess his dad had this entire room about that size. It was actually a closed-down carport, and it was an entire room. And it was like he had nothing but record albums in there and bins and stuff like this. So I was thumbing around, and I found the Van Halen's Women and Children first. And this is the picture. This is the photo on the back of that on the back of that I saw that picture right and I said I remember thinking this just as clear as day 14 years old going these guys must be able to play because they look so they look cool. cool right I went to the pawn shop to find that album I couldn't find it but I found Van Halen too so I figured well it's the same band so mm-hmm. you know and I popped that in and when I heard somebody get me a doctor I remember thinking 
I've got to do that. I didn't know at the time that I was having the same reaction that every 14-year-old, every 12-year-old who discovered that man, Mm -hmm. I I did not realize that I was having the same experience. I was like, I've got to do that. Which is funny because most times the rock and roll and and the heavy metal and that kind, it it appeals to, you know, if you look at the concerts, for the most part, it's young men and and even older men that are at these concerts because it, it does, it appeals to something in there like, oh, Girls like guys who play guitar, right? And and so that that law, it's aggressive and it's loud and it's hard pounding, and it kind of speaks to something in a lot of guys. Not exclusively, because not very few things are absolute. Jesus yes. is absolute. Uh, anything else is not. But for the most part, that's what a lot of concerts are. Is a bunch of young men because yeah, like they see something. It's like I want to be that because they're cool, right? Because they're they're loud because people love them and. But, you know, I I will be honest with you that it uh, girls were a secondary factor, Mm -hmm. not not even at the time that I the the time that I think that I was like, I've got to do that. I got to get that sound. Right. I've got to get I've got to be able to play like that. All the other stuff was peripheral. You know, yeah, that certainly was a nice. And and by the way, for the record, it didn't happen automatically. Right. Um, Well, a lot of guitar teachers will tell you that if you want to hook a student, you don't start off teaching them scales and chords and mm-mm. all that kind of stuff. You teach them the song. That, teach them the riff. What song do you want to learn? Yeah. And when you give them that riff that they've been... Th- oh, they'll... Like, they, it know, just hooked. totally hooked. As a matter of fact, I got a student. I got a student. Uh, he's not a student anymore, but guy. And it was exactly like that, you know. He would, he would come to me and he'd say, well, I learned this riff. And I said, okay, well, let me show you how to, the right way to play that or let me show you a better way to play that or mm-hmm. something like that. And then all of a sudden, he was like, oh, that makes so much more sense. And now all of a sudden, it it's like now it's something now it's I can reach the next step. Yeah, it's connected to something. Well, when I went – when I, like – I've been involved. I've like I've loved music like my whole life. Like I really have a passion for music. I love look, listen, and I have kind of like '80s hair metal or hair bands is kind of my favorite. But I like a lot of other stuff too. Well, you know, so I started singing in choir in eighth grade, and so most of my music career, so to speak, has been singing. You know, and, and when right. I got into church, I was I was on the praise team and stuff. I was hey, if David Lee Roth can do it, you can do it. Well. <laughs> <laughs> Music's that's right. Music's all, always been like you know it's it's important, and I see the value in it, and what it does. So you know, we started our children. Like our oldest was um, nine or ten, and we started him in piano because there's a lady that we met, and so he took four years of piano, and in the process, he learned some music, and and somebody gave him a guitar. Well, you know, I never learned how to play an instrument because it just the opportunity never presented itself, or it just wasn't the right time, or I wasn't disciplined enough to disciplined enough to do it and didn't pursue it. Well, a few years ago, like I was, I was like, it felt like God spoke to me on this. He's like, why don't you ask Christopher, my oldest? Um, he's like, why don't you ask him to, you know, teach you how to play guitar? And I'm like, I'm 55 years, old, 54 years old, and gosh, I don't know if I want to do this. And then I was like, you know, this would be a great experience. And so when I went down to sat with him, like the first time, he's like, so what do you want to, what do you want from this? What are you looking for? And I said, honestly, I just want to be able to sit upstairs in my in my bonus room. And I just want to play along with all the music that I loved all these years right. and feel like I've been missing out on because, I, you know, I, that's all I want to do. Now, that's not where it's 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 kept going. Like I, I play, you know, as a backup guitarist on our praise team 
only because you know I, I have to. <laughs> uh, but you know, I, I really enjoy it. Like I, I really enjoy that, and that's kept me engaged. And and I go down and I spend an hour with my son every week, in just the two of us in a little bitty room about the size of your dining room with a guitar. And right. We talk about everything. It's like this podcast. Like we talked about everything, and then we sprinkle some music in there maybe, and we practice some things, and he'll challenge me. But you know, I started off like I just wanted to play with. You know, those guys, even at 54 years old. Right. That's what I wanted to do because that's what I thought was cool. Right. And that was the greatness of music was being able to do those things. And I wanted to, you know, that's what I wanted to do. Now, it morphed into something totally different, um, you know, but that's where it started out. And that is a great jump because we could talk about this like many things all day long. But, and I had brought that up to tell you in my long-winded kind of way. I brought that up to tell you that I grew up during the time. I, I just got to get into music, and my dad was an audiophile, although, but rock and roll was not. I mean, the most rock and roll, Elvis was, we had Elvis in the house. We had, we had the platters. But most of it was, you know, easy listening, Perry Como, uh, you know, my dad was a Tchaikovsky, you know, stuff like that. You know, Kiss. It could have been worse. My my family music genre was country. Oh, we had that too. We had country and western. Well, that's all we had, and uh, that was just not my favorite. Oh, it was not my favorite either. But you know, uh, you know, when in Rome, and uh, so I remember I'd already had a significant collection of tapes. I wasn't a troublemaker. I know you find that surprising, but I wasn't a troublemaker at all. My, I went to school. I came home. I really wasn't involved in school. I was, that was a necessary evil. And I went to church, and I, I, I didn't even get into the youth group until about 14 because I didn't want to be around the teenagers. I really didn't. And, But once I got involved, I got involved all the way. But that's all I did. And the only thing that I had secular if you will was my music mm -hmm. and my dad we had southern gospel in the house but that's not what we played exclusively i mean you know i i i could hear uh uh loretta lynn and i could hear uh johnny cash and i could hear um jackie gleason his orchestra and perry como and tchaikovsky and various and uh, believe it or not, my dad had a lot of jazz. Uh, it was not the fusion jazz, but it was it was stuff like um, uh, it was stuff like uh, the standards. Uh, uh, I'm trying to think of one in particular, and it escapes me at the moment. Uh, Autumn leaves, uh, things like that. For my dad, that was easy listening. My mom was much more of the the doo-wop groups, you know, and stuff like that. But rock and roll, like, you know, I I saw Zeppelin's album covers before I ever heard them, mm -hmm. okay? And, uh, you know, Kiss, I saw their record albums before I ever heard them. And that was a big no-no in the house. Kiss was a no-no. And so I... I was right at that, the, the record burning, the cassette burnings and stuff like that. And there was an article in the newspaper in the Fayetteville Observer. And I remember we had a family meeting. It was rare. But Dad called us all in 
and he showed us this. And I actually, I was stunned because I was like, what's the big deal? I mean, I get it. You don't like the sound of it because they didn't. But backward masking, uh, you know, the lyrical content, stuff like that. And, and, and it, I didn't have the wherewithal at the time in, to say this to my parents because I, I, I wasn't rebellious. You know, I mean, I, I had my moments, but I, I, never, I never really disrespected my parents. And so I, I had a hard time arguing this point. But I was like, when I got older, I was able to do this. But I was like, wait a minute. The, 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 the lyrics that they have aren't any different than some of the lyrics in your music. You know, I mean, oh, blue eyes, you know. It, you know, you know, what's funny is that that is what you're describing is almost the same thesis of political correctness yes it's musical correctness. yes it is to what i like and yes. what i believe and and what ended up happening and what i formed in my mind was what i didn't understand and see this was reinforced in the church now please understand i love the church i love i've grown up in it i've you know but i also understand that it's full of people and people are imperfect. Right. They make mistakes. And some of them make mistakes out of a genuine, wholesome intent, but they still make mistakes. They misread, they misperceive that, you know, they misunderstand. And so I had to deal with that whole, that whole idea of, well, you know, you can't have, I was actually told by a preacher once, you know, you can't have one foot in the world and one foot in, you know, one foot on the ocean and one foot on the shore. You can't do that. Okay. And, you know, the the, the people in rock music, they're, you know, there's, there's nothing but sex. There's nothing but, you know, it's it's all about money. It's all about this, that, and the other one. But you like football. You know, you're a big, you're a big football fan. And the Super Bowl. I don't know if you know this or not. The Super Bowl is the largest human trafficking event ever. That's what I've heard that. Yeah. And so, you know, and now, of course, this was, you know, years and, you know, this was, I'm, I'm 52. So, you know, this, we're talking 40 years ago almost. And uh, so, uh, but it was always funny that the very arguments that they were making didn't, they would never apply that to their own personal tastes. Mm -hmm. And what I came to conclude was that the only reason why you're attacking this is not because of the spiritual implication. You're attacking this because you don't like it. Style. It doesn't sound style good issue. to you. It's a style issue. I, it, I would rather somebody look at me and say, look, I... I would rather someone be honest with me. See, the reason why I don't like it is because I don't like the way it sounds. Yeah, I, I would I would much you know I would much rather somebody just be straight up honest with me. I had a friend that um, messaged a group of us about um, a cover band. I think it's a British cover band for Pink Floyd coming to the area, and I text and I was like, "Enjoy." I've I was never a big Pink Floyd fan, I, yeah. and, and it was like you know one of the guys like got on like I was blaspheming. I'm like, 
it's just a style thing. They're great musicians. They did yeah. a great job. Matter of fact, my senior class was trying to vote for um, another brick in the wall as our as our class song, which didn't make any sense because you know it says we don't need no education, but yet we're graduating high school. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, Teacher, and, and leave is, those kids yeah. alone. And the good thing is that the school board <laughs> stepped in and said, "No, we're not doing that." Yeah. Which made sense. <laughs> now, on my musical, my personal musical journey, like you know, so like I said, I grew up in a home. I didn't really like the music, but I liked music, so I saw. Um, Ricky Nelson in concert and Billy Crash Craddock and you know some of those kind of characters. Right. And and I enjoyed the music not so much as a flavor. I just enjoyed the music. And then you know when I got when I when I graduated high school and went into the army at seventeen, well then I found the music that I liked and it was like I had at one point I had probably probably two hundred LPs you know thirty threes. Yeah. Um, and I probably had three hundred cassettes. And I had, and it was mostly, you know, hard rock. And I had, you know, I had some uh, some Rush, the one with the song about the uh, the priests of the temple. Uh, oh, Temple of Syrinx, yeah, yeah twenty one twelve. Twenty one twelve. Yeah. Um, you know, I had, the, <laughs> I had the Motley Crue album, Shout at the Devil. You know, I had I had Iron Maiden. I had a lot of that stuff. And when I got saved in ninety one, it was right after that. It was almost like I went. I I felt like, and this is just it could have been. You know, just my immaturity in my spiritual walk, or it could actually been God leading me. But at that time, it was like I had to stop all of that stuff, and I got rid of all the music, and I got rid of uh, some other things that in my in my um, um, immaturity that I thought was bad and may or may not have been, but I did because you know if I do it by faith, then God's pleased with that. Not so much what I did, but I right. did it by faith. Right. And and so for probably ten years, I didn't listen to anything, but. Christian music and that was you know the early 90s and we know what kind of music was going on there like, yeah it was, it, was, it was inspirational but it wasn't always the best quality and and from what I was used to listening to and what I liked <laughs> it was a far departure but I was okay with it because you know looking back I can see what like God was it was like he was he was purging me of some things because there are you know when it comes I, I think lyrically is a huge important thing when you're when you're choosing what to listen to and what to watch and and all those kind of things you know the content of it is extremely important because those things sit in our minds you know i don't know how many songs are trapped up here in this mind that if it started playing i could sing along to it and i hadn't heard it well you yet. just mentioned temple of syrinx yeah i mean you just mentioned that and i haven't listened to that I've, and i i went right to that you know i mean I, so, I got this. so for probably 10 years it was like the christian music and kind of almost washed a lot of that stuff now it's still in there i can access it but coming out of there it was like it was like god let me have music back with a greater discernment because before right it right. wasn't about discerning i didn't care what the lyrics sang about i didn't care what it glorified i didn't really care coming out of that 10-year hiatus or whatever it was it was like now i do and and it's you know and like i have a style that i like now i try to expand it and you know, actually play, learning how to play guitar has helped out with that. Like, I, there is some country that I do enjoy, and some, right? You know, um, you know those kind of things. But, um, but like, I have a, I, I think I have a better discernment, and there, and so like, if you looked on my Spotify and you looked at my playlist, like, it's probably mostly like the '80s rock that I grew up on because right. I'm a child of that area. I was that was when I was in my young adulthood, and I could buy my own stuff, and I had the big speakers that really didn't need to be this big but they look cool and the racks and all that kind of stuff <laughs> what other reason do you need it? that's all that matters <laughs> you know, how do you look um but but you know like i still you know it, it's a lot of that but but like I'll, I'll be listening to a song and all of a sudden i'll hear what they're singing about and i'll be like 
I can't let that go on for me anymore. And that's just me. I like I don't. And, and do, I, I, and I can appreciate yeah. that, and and I do, and I, I would, I'd rather somebody tell me that they. So you understand? Okay, I was saved when I was nine. Right. Okay, that was years before I started venturing out into my own, grabbing my what for me I liked. You know, it's like you know when you were when you were a baby, you know you ate whatever mommy right. and daddy gave you. Right. But then as you develop your tastes and your your appetites for certain things, you know you're like, eh, you know, gee, I I don't really like that. I don't mm-hmm. really want that. I I really but this like is this. What we always eaten. Yeah, exactly. No, I didn't and, like it. And, and <laughs> yeah, and and that's fine. I I I do. I as getting older now. Now my dad's been gone. Um, one of the things I'm I'm starting to appreciate, especially when I hear it. If I hear right. something that that you know I haven't heard, like every now and then on the radio at work, or on the on the speakers at work, every now and then I'll hear like the Great Pretender by the Platters, mm-hmm. and that takes me back to back when we used to be driving long distance and we would pop in the the eight track and and the Platters Greatest Hits, and I would hear that. And I, I mean, I remember those; it was great. But that's not my normal listening habit. That's not my normal taste. I like it. But that's I like it differently than I like, say, Van Halen or, right. or you know, or well, it's more nostalgic. It takes you back to exactly a time and and you, it does. But that but the interesting thing about it is if you listen to the lyrics of some of those songs, they're not. I, I want to make I want to make a distinction here. Just because it's not Christian doesn't mean that it's bad. Mm-hmm. Okay, secular does not mean evil. Secular means not of God. Right. Okay. We have plenty of things that we do secularly. We have secular jobs. We have, you know, we, we, everything, you know. So I, I, I think that word has been way abused, oh, yeah. to be honest with you. And I, I guess I, I brought that up because you are a pastor and because, and, and because of the very experiences that you cited. I think that the church here in America— and I, I'm loath to, because I think it's kind of a popular, I think it's a, what do they call it, a cause celeb now, to, at least among some Christians, to bash the American church. And I, I really have an issue with it myself. But well, I that's ke- like somebody talking about your wife. Yeah, exactly. I don't think Jesus is overly excited about us talking bad about his bride. I, don't, I, I agree. And I, but at the same time, we can't ignore some of the mistakes that we have made. Mm-hmm. And... I think some of the mistakes that were made were not because I, I don't I don't believe that that God uh, we tend to do things in extremes. You know what I'm saying? Right. We we don't we don't do anything halfway. You know it, it, it's. Well, I think our lives are like a pendulum. Yeah. And we go from extreme to extreme. Yeah. There's a moment in time that pendulum is in the middle. Right. And it's balanced. And but then it goes right out. Right. Of balance, and, and I think that's the way we operate our lives. I I do. And so what happens? I think I think it was I think it was kind of popular to get on the uh, record burning. Um, you know, I don't know if it was an idea to show how spiritual we were or. You know, and I do believe that there were people who had good faith. Which came first, the record burning of the rock groups burning disco music, or Christians burning devil music? Which do you think happened first? Uh, I I, I would, almost bet we we. <laughs> I I would venture to say because I have found. I will tell you this: I saw a video, and this was from the '30s. You know, so it was old black and white. 
of this person. No, so it was not the 30s. It was just as rock and roll was pretty much birthed, you know, Bill Haley and the Comets. So we're talking the early 50s. And and Elvis, you know, was had, I don't even think Elvis was out at this time, but rock and roll had already been, the term had been coined and whatnot. And um, there was a white man who was standing in front of a camera, and he, I guess he was a Christian or a church-going man or whatever, you know, and he was saying that we're not going to that that we're not going to have any part of this demonic. Now he says demonic, and then he turns right around and uses the N word, music. Okay. Now, now that to me is you're at if you'll pardon the expression you're at cross purposes with. You know, either A, you're against the music because of its quote-unquote demonic influence, and yet you're endorsing demonic forces by using that term, Mm -hmm. which is a racist term. And you're telling me, and of course I didn't know this person, this person was long before I was born, but that, not, not, nobody ever said that in church to me. Nobody ever said that. But that was exactly my, that, that was exactly, it wasn't so much the racist mindset. It was that, okay, you don't want me to have this secular influence, but yet you have secular influences over here that you're perfectly fine with. Right. You're perfectly fine with using a racial slur because it's part of the culture. But. Which goes right back to what we talked about in the beginning where something might be legal doesn't make it right. Right. And so what you were doing is you were only confusing people. Now, I, I say that you mentioned Motley Crue's Shout at the Devil. And I remember reading an article with Nikki Six, uh, where, you know, because he obviously had come up during, you know, that time. He'd come up during the 60s. He liked the 60s bands and stuff like that. And then, of course, you know, let's face it, Motley Crue was – you know, their lifestyle was certainly not Christian and, and, you know, and they reveled in that. Um, and, but the, the thing is, is that I wonder how much the church helped push them into that because they were like, people were like, okay, you want to call this devil music? We'll, we're going to go all the way. Right. We're going to, you know, we're going to be just as filthy as we can be because it bothers you. Right. Okay, and I think I I almost think that that album and many others like it. That's what that was for. Mm-hmm. It was more of a slap in the face, not that they were actually worshiping the devil, even though their lyrics kind of lended it. It was more about I'm gonna you know throw up a middle finger at you because right. You know, it was it exactly that's exactly what you know. Now, I've I've listened to some you know I've listened to plenty of songs, and I've never I've never justified I've never tried to justify certain things, but I remember reading a book called, and I don't remember who it was by, um, one of the many anti-rock authors that, you know, you know, they certainly made a lot of money, you know, printing books. Mm-hmm. Um, and they would talk, this, this one book was called Not, Why Knock Rock? And it would take all these artists and, and all, all this, you know, and and say, well, you know, and they would take lyrics and, and say, well, you know, they'd say this. And, I, you know, I can't, I can't defend 
many of them. But at the same time, I also say, but you know, I say it now, I didn't say it this way then, but the, the idea was there that, you know, these lyrics are not prescriptive, they're descriptive. Okay? Uh, like uh, one uh, Van Halen tune, uh, Jamie's Crying. Mm-hmm. All right? He's talking about, he's talking about this guy who wants to bang this chick. Okay? But he's not saying it that way. He's, but in, he's, he's saying, and, and the, the, the bridge, one of the bridges of the song, he says, you know, uh, Jamie's been in love before and she knows what love is for and it should mean a little bit more than a one night stand. Right. Which is absolutely right. Yes. Okay. Now, if you just take the song, you know, because he, he, in the lyric, he, he says, you know, um, uh, I think it was in the second verse of the song. And see, if I was singing the song, I could just recall the lyrics right there. But I have to think about it. Um, where he says, um, he tells the story uh, that uh, now she wouldn't say all right. He, she knew he would forget her. And so they said good night, and now he's gone forever. And it makes her feel so sad. So this whole story is... She's got her heart wrapped up in this guy, but he only really wants one right. thing. So she says no, and now she feels like she's re- – so there's this this subtle pressure. And this happens all the time. Yes. There's nothing false about that song. Right. Okay? It's just that Roth lays it out there in plain, in plain language. We don't do that. That, that, it's, that's the, that, that was the problem that I had with – a lot of the Christian rock. Here's here's my theory on, on a lot of those kind of things is that instead of running around and telling people what to do and what not to do, what to like and what not to like and all that kind of stuff, what I felt is probably the most productive thing is to help them and, and help, you know, to, to teach them and then help them to learn to love God more and then let him deal with those things. Right. Because like, like my relationship with my wife, we've been together for 35 years uh, we've been married for, well, actually, we've been together almost 36 years. We've been married for 34 in April. And there are things that I don't do that aren't necessarily wrong, but I don't do them because I don't want to violate my relationship with her because I love her. Right. And so that th- that same thing, I think, applies with our relationship with God is that, uh, it, you know, if I fall totally and completely in love with God and that's, the, the utmost purpose of my life is to know him and be known by him, then there are a lot of things that I will not do and I and then I will do based on my relationship. And it's not that he told me just like just like I said where I put away music for, for ten years. Right. He didn't I don't know that he told me to do that and it's not in the Bible and I I know friends who didn't do that. Well does that mean I'm right and they're wrong? Or was that just what he was doing with me? Right. Or what I felt like I needed to do and I did it because I wanted to deepen my relationship with him. Now, doesn't that, with that in mind, doesn't that suggest, I know it doesn't, but for the sake of, if you'll allow me to play the devil's advocate here, okay. doesn't that suggest... Better you than me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I can do it. I just, um, uh, some people might say too well. Um, but doesn't that suggest a, a relativism? In other words, doesn't that go back to the my truth versus your truth kind of thing? I don't think it does, but just for the record, because some people say, well, you know, because uh, I've heard people say, well, you know, God hasn't convicted me of X, Y, and Z. And, you know, maybe he's convicted you of that, but he hasn't, you know, let's, 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 let me, let me just 
be real here. Let's talk about homosexuality. Okay. And the Bible is very clear about that. And uh, anybody who says it isn't just is not reading the doesn't same. Doesn't want it to be. You know, they, they don't want it to be. Now, I'm not, let me state for the record, I'm not advocating anyone go, you know, I, I don't need to go point out anybody's sin. That's, that's not the point. But what I'm saying is that you can justify anything by saying, well, God hasn't convicted me of that. You know, and somewhere along the line, is that, because I, I don't know, because I'm not inside your head, inside your heart, but it seems to me that I would bet you to say that God probably has, you're just ignoring it. Could be. And But I have seen it where, like, sometimes what we do as the church, when we're working with new believers or uh, maybe people who have been unchurched for a while and they were believers, but they really you know, weren't in a place of growing um, in that manner. Um, and I've seen where, like, we can start addressing all of the big things that are big to us. Like, I've had, you know, in ministry, because we've been in full-time pastoral ministry leading a church for 20 years and for five years before that i was in full-time ministry i was doing more outreach stuff and you know in our church experience we've had a lot of people come in with with really what i would say were um unbiblical uh relationship statuses you know so like right um and 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 i don't know where i picked it up and maybe it was just god led me that way or that's just how i felt was right um, there would be a lot of times where I wouldn't address something. Maybe it's a—I'll just use a couple living here. That's been the most of our relationship experiences. That I just really didn't feel like it was time to address that. Mm-hmm. One, because sometimes what we do as a church is we answer questions that aren't being asked. So there are times where I haven't been convicted of that yet, but it's not because you just brought it up or I'm trying to deny it. There are times where it's just like God's not ready to deal with that in my. So we had there was one couple in particular. They were living together and they had a child together, and they were, you know they, everything like, and they were they were on a fixed budget basically, and so like they came they came to me like they had been living together for probably about a year with us, and I just never addressed it because I like to let the Holy Spirit speak to do those. the yeah, yeah that way when they have a problem they're not coming to take it out on me because I didn't bring it up right the Holy Spirit did right so like this couple came to us and and the guy young man, great young man came to me and said hey. Um, you know, we've really been praying and we've kind of been wrestling with this thing and we really think it's wrong for us to be living together and, and we wanna we wanna we wanna make it right by getting married. He said, Now what I'll tell you is is that we can't you know, and I never brought this up to him, you know. Um, and I think sometimes we, we, we do that. We tend to shine a light and like people are already wrestling with it and we just made it worse by being condemning. Um, he said that what we're gonna do is like we wanna get married in like three weeks. Because, I mean, they've already been living together for a while. They right. Have a child together. So might as well just go ahead and, yeah. Yeah, so he's like three weeks. And, I, you know, because some people are like, well, we got to go through a year of counseling and all of blah, 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 blah. Yeah, I'm like, hey, let's just get this right and we'll move on from there. Paul said that if you can't, you know, you can't live a celibate life without burning with lust, get married. So it's there you go. It's not a I bad mean, thing. So he said, what we're going to do is three weeks. He said, and what I'm going to do is, like, I can't go get an apartment or a hotel to separate. He's like, I'm going to sleep. I'm going to commit to you. It's never a rule that I put on. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to sleep on the couch and she can have the bedroom. Right. And we will have no, you know, physical intimacy for that three week period. That doesn't fix, you know, what we may or may have not have done and right to that. But he said, this is what we want to do. And then we'll have a ceremony. And that's what they did. And I was like, you know, that right there, like if I would have addressed it, like when I first met them, how 
quickly could I push them out by telling them they were so right. up and doing all these wrong things? Well, like Speaking of pushing out, I my I want I'm not going to edit this out. We're just uh, I want it's not a commercial break, but I got to let the dog out. So you <laughs> I know, let the dog out. yeah, Will did. This is just a conversation, and and so you know I want to I want to start I want to start to bring at least this session to a close, um, but uh, it, it, because I've I've got someone coming home and, yeah, there and, are, and life going on yeah life going on and and yeah but um, although I'm thoroughly enjoying this but I guess. I'm I'm starting to see this, and you said mention pendulum, and this this is probably happening in me too. I'm seeing where there are a lot of pastors, a lot of preachers, a lot of church leaders who are falling into two very disparate camps. On the one hand, we have those who I'm going to call them the hellfire and brimstone, and I'm I'm not against preaching about hell. I Right. You know, and stuff like, but they're the hellfire and brimstone. You know, you better, you better take your band aids when you come to church because you're going to get the, the, it's coming from the pulpit. Mm-hmm. And then on the other hand, we got those who don't want to talk about anything. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, and for those group, you know, they they don't want to, they don't want to acknowledge as a matter of fact they they consider anytime that we confront and when i say confront i don't mean getting in somebody's face well i'm talking about taking a side and saying yeah this is wrong abortion is a great example or uh issues of homosexuality or um or even racism um that you're being too judgmental Mm -hmm. you know and we can and we got accept it you know we basically just got accept anything and my question becomes to that group to to well to the first group to the hellfire brimstone group my question is can't we do anything right Mm -hmm. is there is there everything we do so polluted that we just can't do anything right Mm -hmm. you know and then on the other group is like is there anything wrong is there nothing that we can take a stand on is there nothing that we should say is wrong right and I'm, I'm, it's, it's, there's no, there's no meeting between those two disparate camps. And, and I think what the problem is, is that we don't see how they can coexist because I think, you know, it's, it's like, um, you know, as you were talking about the two different camps like that, one, uh, more of a hellfire brimstone, you're always doing something wrong, bring band-aids to church. Oh, we just love being beat up. It, it, it's almost like, you know, church leaders, whatever you call them, a lot of what they're doing is they're, they're really parenting their congregation they're kind of spiritual parents right you know and not in you know not in a weird way but just if they if you do it like that I, th- I found that's pretty helpful and even how you parent has been you know i can look back you know i've been doing it for a while now i got a 33 year old son um and now we have grandchildren you know how i parent now is totally different how i parented when they were when he was a newborn right or when he was a toddler all right. those kind of things um and and if you grow up you know, like like I grew up with a, a stepmother who was who was extremely harsh towards me, um, and for a lot of different reasons, it wasn't really something she did 
purposely or maliciously. It was kind of like she was a product of her environment and she brought baggage in with and, and it just happened that I was kind of the outlet for that. So what happens in that area of a harsh parent with children is they may be the most obedient children, but their obedience doesn't come out of a place of love and respect. It comes out of a place of I don't want to get beat. Right, get right, hit. right. And so they're, they, they are usually one of two things. They're extremely skittish. And they're like, every time the parent looks at them or raises a voice, they're like, oh, you know, you can tell, like, they, yeah. they do that. You can watch people's reactions, and you can see how peop- a, a leader is around them. Or on the other side, like, you can go where it's, you know, the, the sloppy agape, and you have children who are, <laughs> you know, so. Oh, oh the, other, the second type of children with a harsh parent, it's either either they're very skittish and gun-shy and very reserved and, and you know, just traumatized. Or they become rebellious, and I'm just going to do right. these things, and you know, just thumb a middle finger at right. you, you know, just because I want to. I want to do that, or they're doing stuff in the background that's really not productive for their own life, and is actually harmful. But they're not doing it because they're enjoying it; they're doing it because you don't like it. Right. Which you know, there's a lot of Christians that'll do that, respond to their leaders that way, like, "Well, I'm with you. I don't want you to preach at me, so I'm going to act a certain way and let you think I'm this person." And right. Over here, you I'm know, doing this. I'm yeah, do this whole other, I have this whole other life. Or you got the sloppy agape where it's like, oh, just kumbaya, everybody, no matter what you're doing, you know, God's not going to address it. He loves everybody just as you are. Blah 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 blah. And and then what you have is you have children that are very self-centered and they're very spoiled many times. And and it's kind of the same thing in our leadership if we take the both approach because because in and of themselves neither one is necessarily bad, but it's not right because because we need both. We do need correction. Right. And the Bible talks about correction. Right. It talks about how to correct. You know, one of the first things we saw in correcting children was that um, it, w- it was a progression where you speak to them. You know, the the end goal of correction is not to me to put physical violence on my child. No. It and, is to and straighten, exi- yeah. I'm looking for repentance. Right. If I can get repentance from speaking to them, win. That's, yeah, that was what because that was the point was because yeah. my children were all three different personalities. They came from the same place and same people were involved in the production, but you know they're all three different. Right. So like, you know, our daughter, I she very rarely ever had to be spanked because she would respond to displeasure in yeah. the voice and she would respond. And the purpose of correction is repentance. You know, and then um, it talked about like you know Jesus would speak. It would speak to something, and then it would trouble your soul. You know, and that could be like taking away privileges right. or you know whatever that looks like. But it's not it's not physical yet. It's still right. it's, I'm troubling your soul because right. you didn't listen to me. And then you know the last one was um, where there's there, there's some something physical that can happen, and it has to be measured and not out of anger and all this kind of thing. So we need that, but we can't just exist on that because what it'll produce will be a very lopsided person. It's got to have the unconditional love that goes along with it. That's why right. when, when, like, you know, my children knew that when I, when I did have to discipline them in, in whatever manner I, I felt necessary, they knew that I loved them because I, I did that too, you know, very close. Because I remember, like, you know, my stepmother, like, the things that she required of me were right. It was just the execution of that right. was very harmful. Right. And, and. You know, I came out of that saying, I don't want to ever be like that. I don't want to do that. I want to do something different. Right. And I told my wife going into our marriage, like, we're going to do something different. Like, I'm drawing a line right here. And this might have been where I came from, but I'm going to learn the lesson so that I can do it better. Right. 
And that's what I've attempted to do. But, and where I've seen that is, is in the balance. There's got to be a balance to, to be able to, to bring balance in a person's life because we should live from a balance. We should live from a balance that our mind is healthy and it's, it's growing and, and, and all those kind of things. Our spirit is healthy and it's growing and it's connecting. And our body, we take care of our physical body and the physical things that we have stewardship over. And as I'm doing those things, there becomes you know, that, that, that convergence in the middle of it. And that's where like true health is from. And that's what I need to, to maintain because if any one of these things gets off, it throws everything else a little right, bit off. Right, right, right. And sometimes, you know, that's where, you know, we've missed it with discipleship is we're not giving a balance where we're really concerned about all of those things. Right. And how to do it in such a manner. You know, you, you talked about the, the subjective truth. There, I don't believe in subject, subjective truth. But Jesus said, you know, because they came into him one time. They're like, why does he get to live forever and not die, Jesus? Yeah. And. And, and he didn't. He didn't say that's not what I said. He didn't even. He didn't no, even say that. He, he looked didn't. at him and said, "What I do with him is what I do with him. That's between me and, me and him. him. Yeah. What I do with you is between me and you. Right. And and so like there was a personal aspect. You know, it's funny. Jesus didn't even pretend to be fair. Oh. You know, I. I it that's that and, and of course you know my past experience, and it was very very difficult not to say God, this isn't fair. Right. It wasn't, you know, it was very difficult, but. And you I never got angry at it when, when you did say it. You know, you no. Get angry. No, no. And it wasn't surprised either. Um, but uh, the thing is, is that this idea of fairness. Mm-hmm. Now, we have an obligation to make things as fair as we possibly can. I mean, I, I think, you know, I well, mean, I, I. Fair would be me dying for my sin and not Jesus. Well, yes, but I, you know. I couldn't. I couldn't do that for you, and you couldn't do that for me. But I'm speaking. I'm speaking earth in earthly terms. Right. That you know, uh, like when I brought you in for this podcast, I, I have I have an obligation. At least I feel I have an obligation to be fair to you, and in certain aspects of our discussions and stuff like that. And but I can't always be fair. Right. And you can't always be fair. You know, it's, it's, we as parents, we know that. Yeah. Sometimes, On my best day, I'm a hypocrite. I just some, try to keep my hypocrisy small. <laughs> there you go. And and so, I, you know, fairness fairness is subjective. Fairness is, you know, it's very difficult to be fair because, uh, you know, as a parent, we, we can be fair as we can, mm-hmm. but we also know what our children can and can't handle in certain situations. Mm-hmm. So uh, I've always found it interesting, you know, and I want to wind, I want to start winding this down. Um, because, 10 minutes yeah, I know. Like we're ending uh, sermon. I know. I I'm, more I'm, you know, who give me yeah. five more minutes. And in conclusion, <laughs> um, but the, uh, I, I, you know, I always found some of these, uh, some parents would do this is, you know, if one child got a package of a certain size, the other child had to get, the same size package Mm -hmm. because we didn't want to think that we were treating one differently than the other. You can't maintain that. Right. Okay. My parents never did that. I mean, they tried to balance out, you know, but I remember one time, uh, I was, I want to say I was about five or six and my brother got for Christmas. I think it was, he got this really cool. It was a huge, it was a Batmobile, but it was about this long. It was the coolest thing you'd ever seen. 
And I just wanted to play on it. I just wanted to play it. And I didn't want to let him. It was my brother's car. Mm-hmm. I didn't get anything like that. Okay. And I remember my dad having to come in and make me give it back to my brother. And he'd go, you got a whole closet full of cars. Well, I didn't want to play with those because I want to play with that one. Okay. And I thought that that was unfair. Right. Okay. Well, my parent, neither one of my parents had any pretense of fairness. They were like, that is too bad. You're going to have to get used to the fact that things aren't going to be fair in this life. Mm-hmm. Now, did that mean that they were purposely trying to be unfair? No. They weren't trying purposely trying to be unfair. They were trying to show that, you know, for whatever reason, my brother got his. that car. It was his. Yeah. Okay. I had other things. I had plenty of other things. And you probably got gifts that Christmas oh, as well. Oh, I'm sh- yeah, I did. And they were but, your gifts. And they were my gifts. Mm-hmm. Okay. And but this whole idea of that one was better. You you think that because he got that gift that you know, in your childish mind you think, well, they must love him more. Right. Which is not true. A lot of parents, there are a lot of parents who think that in their mind. They're like, well, you know, if I give him I don't want him to think I love him more because I gave him or her this. Right. Yeah. One of the best gifts that my parents ever gave me had nothing to do with the package it was and of course i didn't appreciate it then because i could i didn't have the capacity to appreciate it but one of the best gifts that my parents ever gave me was not being fair not not in the sense of doing something purposely to um because if it has to be fair then you grow up as entitled right okay and that was not something that you know they didn't care that so and so got a hundred dollar pair of shoes, you know, and all my friends did. Dad was like, I don't care. And I go, well, dad, that's not fair. Well, okay. You're not the one spending the money either. Right. And they're not spending the money you know either. What we did with our son because he, he, he went to school for a couple years and then we started homeschooling, but he, he would say, I want, you know, whatever those shoes are I'm like, okay, here's what I would normally spend on a pair of shoes for you. I'll give you that, and then anything to make that up is what you're going to be responsible for. And you can have those shoes. I'm just going to buy you – I would buy you the Bobos because I know how you are right. on shoes, and that's what I can actually afford. Right. And if you want the you know, the Nike Air Jordans or whatever, then you know the $25 that I would spare, spend on the Bobos, you get that, and then you got to make up the $125 right. on your own. That's just, and that's just the way that it is because – you know, you're not entitled. Right. Because that's part of the problem with our culture today is entitlement. Right. That's exactly right. And with that, I think it's about time to start wrapping up. But they, they are be- entitled to be let go at this point. Yes, they're entitled to be let go at this time. Now, uh, a couple things kind of – one of the things is I, I've already done my we, – we can make some real quick comments on this. Uh, I've already done my quote of the episode. Now, I'm going to give you – I, I, I want I like to do this just because it has is no informative value. It's just silliness. Okay? Ah, okay. All right. My pet peeve of the episode. And my pet peeve is people who just have to park backwards in the slot. Okay. Now I want to make a qualifier of this. Okay. okay. I want to make a qualifier of That's this. Okay. Now I was at, I was at food line down the street here and Okay, you know, okay, you got the parking that's, you know, everybody's next to you. And then you got that, you always have that, like that edge where every, that nobody wants to park in the edge, you know, because it's too far to walk, right? Right. And I saw a guy. Even though your car is safer over there. Yeah, it is. But um, I saw one guy who had backed into one, he was like, there was like 
12 slots and there was he was the only guy there and he backed in there i don't have a problem with that that doesn't bother me what bothers me okay especially when you're in like when you go to like uh, texas roadhouse or something like that on a sunday afternoon and the whole thing is packed already because you know we have beat the baptist there mm-hmm. and uh it's a little joke for my baptist friends um and you're already wandering around trying to find a spot and the person in front of you has found the spot, but he goes past it. So you think, oh, I guess he doesn't like that one. But no, he's got to back in. And so you're sitting there waiting because this person's got to back in. And of course, they're not going to be, you know, they got to be careful how they're backing in because they don't want to hit the other cars, but you know. But now you can't go on your merry way to search for another parking spot because you got to wait on him to back in. And everybody's got to wait on this person to back in. I can I can pull into a parking lot, and I see people park. And I even if it's not a, even if I've got a, an available slot, and I see someone, they've got to stop. They've got to back in. Now, now, it would take less time. I guess the logic is that way. All you do is get in your car and pull out and go. All right. Well, it's aren't you kind of like isn't it kind of six and one and a half dozen the other? Because if you pull in to your slot, you can go about and do your business quicker. And when you get back, all you gotta do is just, you know, it's easier to back out into an open area, you know. All you gotta do is just watch what you're doing. But no, everybody's gotta wait on you to back in. Now, I was at church, I won't say which church, because you know I go to two churches. Okay, I go, I go to church in Nazarene when I'm done over at Destiny now because mm-hmm. um, uh, I'm a glutton for punishment, I guess. But anyway, um, no, it is great. But I was standing outside talking with my – talking with some people. And we were talking, talking, talking because it was after church. And now the people – the other service has already started. And – these people are coming in and even for the second service people are coming late Mm -hmm. okay i do the first service and i have to be there Mm -hmm. at eight in the morning or 8 15 for sound check okay so i get the primo parking spot Mm -hmm. all right so we're still so i'm out there talking yakking and so i'm still parked in my spot and you see people coming in and they're they're already the service has already started they're already, they're 10, 15 minutes late getting there. And they're looking at me like I should have already moved. And then they're like, you know, you, you see the eye rolls. You know what happens. And that what they do, pull, and they got to back in to the slot. Okay, if you're in that much of a hurry, really? You know, and, and I, I, I'm thinking, well, you know. If you'd have gotten here, because we didn't have, we don't have all the spots. You'd have gotten here when you're supposed to. You'd have gotten the spot. Mm-hmm. What's you know? And so I guess it's just a pet peeve. No one is gonna, you know, this is, you know, the world is not gonna come to an end because Williams pet peeve. It's just something that it's silly, you know. And it's it to me. I feel my wife thinks I'm nuts, but <laughs> I just like it's like. The whole world has got to wait on you. It, it's like it, I get this impression 
you know, because it's a pound of, you know, mm -hmm. an ounce of impression is a pound of obscure, um, that you think at that moment the whole world has got to wait on you until you get your car exactly where you need it. You know what's funny about our pet peeves is that we tend to transfer what we believe that people are thinking or what they're yeah, feeling in a moment. And I, I would almost bet that if you talk to ten people who back their car into a parking spot, nine of them couldn't tell you why they do it. And if they sat down and thought about it, it was because they saw somebody do it or or whatever. But they couldn't even tell you why they do it. It's just They just do it. And then the one guy who probably does have a reason, it's probably one of those reasons like, I can kind of see what you're saying, but it doesn't sway me. You know, it, it's, <laughs> yeah, that's true. Oh, yeah, I'm not going to convince anybody. Yeah, but, and I think yeah. a lot of times that's what our pet peeves are is because it's something that gets to us. Right. And we don't look at it from somebody else's oh, yeah. perspective. But, yeah, you're, I, I mine remind. is carts in a, in a parking lot. Like oh, Walmart. I mentioned that. That was, my, that was my first one in my first episode. That was the one I I, I, I hate that more than. I and, and as I've gotten older, I do it more. I grab. You know, like I'll put all of the carts, you know, into the rows in the, the cart rack. Yeah. And if there are a couple that are here, I'll put them away just because, like, I know where this is going to go. And, like, I don't know why we don't put our carts away. But you know what? I'll just do my part by getting the carts a little bit more prepared for the guy who's coming around with the cart collector. But And the last item, <laughs> the last item the last. Uh, for this conversation. That's I, right. I hope. Mike, I, I've I've had a really great time with you, and I hope that we'll do this again. I hope this you'll become a regular. Um, and uh, anything you want to talk about, because and we'll talk you know, about everything, and we will. I think we did today. Um, I always have a musician of the episode, and uh, I'm today my musician of the episode is going to be uh, none other than Neil Sean of Journey. I am, he is my number two guy. Eddie Van Halen is my number one, and Neil Sean is my number two guy. And uh, just, uh, he just seems to get better and better. Uh, he is very gifted. He's very melodic. He's very, he's a prolific, uh, very identifiable, mm -hmm. um, and he can play in any situation. And a, and a quote that he said he was asked about the kind of gear that he runs through and he goes yeah i've run in all my time I, since since santana i've run through many different things he says i have tons of stuff i have stuff in storage he says you know and i'm always mixing and matching he said but you know what i can make any rig sound good i mean he was talking about the rig that he currently has. He said yeah but you know what i don't even need all of that i can make any ring rig sing and some people would regard that as being boastful but you know, that's called confidence. That's mm -hmm. called, you know. Well, it's a developed skill, too, and being confident in your right. skills. Right. I develop. mean, he's, uh, I, it doesn't matter. I could give him, I could give him one of my guitars, and I could give him a little Line 6 amp, and it'll sound like Neil Sean. And he's proved it over the years. And that he's he can proved do it over he can do it, you know. So, it's like John Five taking a hell of a kitty guitar and playing with it. Yeah. Or, or that one kid that did, uh, him and another guy did a duet in a Walmart with a kid. Yeah, 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 like, yeah. Oh my gosh! Yeah, better than some people play. Exactly. High and, and and that's 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 just the mark of a of a of a of a high level musician. So mm -hmm. and he can play in any situation. I mean, it's ro mostly rock. You know, he doesn't just play on the ballads. If you you know, journeys, journeys. Uh, he I mean he plays on all sorts of stuff. I there's a video um, of him playing with Sammy Hagar with HSAS live and oh my 
gosh, it's just, he's so good. Um, so that's my musician of the episode. And gosh, um, probably one of the ones that I have gotten, like, I, I really love his, it would be uh, Steve Vai. I love, like, his technical expertise. The dude has tw- fingers twice as long as anybody else, so you know he was supposed to be a guitar player from the <laughs> beginning. Like, it's amazing to me what he's able to do. But then, you know, I've listened to him, and, and there are a couple things that, that really I couldn't buy into, but, you know, I try to kind of spit out the bones when I'm right. you know, listening to something. And him talking about, um, you know, develop, you know, developing your own voice and, and, and just being who you are, and, 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 and the, when he talks about creativity is like, you know, right. and, and it's an individual creativity, and it just, it like really, it almost like it liberated me. Like, I can enjoy what he's doing, and like, it's amazing to me, but like the value that I got out of it was he said that I just should be me and just develop my right. own voice and not try to, you know, be somebody else, you know, get something from them, but let it come from where I'm at. Right. He's always going to have, he's, he said once, he said, there's always going to be some weird biasm. There's always going to be yeah. something. And I guess he learned that, you know, part of that from Zappa, but also he learned that because, you know, he's, he's a great reader. He, he you know, he can yep. read and, and stuff like that. And, that's all part of his voice. I mean, it's very distinct, and, and it seems like there's nothing he can't do. But he'll tell you. He's I mean, there, there's as a matter of fact, uh, the new new guitar player magazine. They, they interviewing him because he's got a new guitar out, and uh, I think it's called the Pia or something like yeah. that. Um, where it's he, a pink one. You ought to get one. Uh, real? Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm sure it's probably out of my price range. I got enough guitars right now. Na- right now. Right now. Uh, Next time we'll talk about that statement. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure that will come back to bite me. Um, but the the thing is, is that he said because somebody asked me, so you know, you you're famous for doing the 12 hour workout, you know, daily 12 hour workout. And he said, do you do that? The the, the the interviewer asked him, do you still do that? And he goes, um, well, it depends on what it is that I'm doing. He said there's a piece that he worked on that he wrote, and there was this one part. That he spent 15 hours just trying to get it down. I can't imagine him having to take 15 hours to do something. How long has he been playing? How long is you know? But see, whereas he might do it in one hour, and we'd be like, "Oh my gosh, that's amazing!" But for him, that was not good enough. Mm-hmm. That has to be that lick has to sound a certain way. And we guitar players are notoriously lazy. Okay, and there are times when we're like, okay, that's good enough. And there are times, there are things that people have heard me play, and they're like, that that was astounding. I'm like, yeah, and I go back and I'm like, yeah, that wasn't that wasn't what I was reaching for. And I know in me what that does to me. So I can only imagine what that does to somebody who has such high standards for for musicality. So. Um, I don't want to have the last word. You know, you, if you feel need to comment on that, but I want to start wrapping this up. I want to wrap this up now. And and uh, final thoughts. This is a blast, man. I really enjoyed this. And if I said anything that you know you don't agree with, or if I figure out anything that I don't agree with, we'll just <laughs> we'll just kind of throw it by the wayside and let it go, and you know, live our lives and try to be the best representations of the kingdom that we can. Well, I, I'll tell you this, Mike. Uh, one of the reasons why I've, I've, I've enjoyed my friendship with you 
is because, and I've heard, I've heard some of your sermons, and 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 there've been a couple of times I'm like, not, you know, you didn't know I was listening, you didn't know I was watching, and there was a couple of times I'm like, okay, yeah, I, I see what he's saying, I, you know, I got to grab onto that, and uh, yeah, you know, I won't say I didn't like it because that's not really fair because there's a lot of times when I I look for those things that I didn't know or I didn't understand when you get the clarity then you got to decide or you get insight into where the person's coming from right helps you just interact with them exactly and so but i the one thing that i've never that i've never experienced with you is this sternness this 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 you're just not like that's not your character is you you're you're like me you pour you know i pour that's what my wife told me one time she said she said you know what you pour you just you just pour things, and and uh, I think that's why uh, I enjoy. I think that's what makes you a successful minister. I think that's what makes you successful in what you do, and uh, I think that uh, that is really I've really benefited here for this. So uh, thank you for making my third episode probably my best one so far. Um, I doubt that. They is, you know, uh, I, you know, I I really I thought about having some questions and stuff like that but i with you i don't really need those because you know you're just a, a bastion of ideas um your basket, bas- basket case or basket, basket ca- well yeah you're a basket case but i think people will make that decision for themselves after they hear this it'll be a very apparent at any rate mike it has been a pleasure and i hope you will join me again and uh if there's something you want to talk about you know, we I'll can write it down and we'll try to get around. Yeah, to it. we'll either here on the lawnmower or at Walmart. Yeah, well, I don't. <laughs> well, we can't talk at Walmart anymore because then we won't have anything to talk about. On I know, right? You know, well, I don't think that. <laughs> I, I think that, but right, at any rate, a few words. <laughs> yeah, that's why this went on for three hours. Uh, yeah. Um, well, ladies and gentlemen, uh, I want to thank you for joining uh, my friend Mike and I as we. Uh, uh, as we close out the third episode of Thoughts from a Lawnmower, uh, I hope you've enjoyed this, but you can't have enjoyed this as much as I've enjoyed it. <laughs> um, and uh, Mike will be back again, and I will, I will see you. Well, I probably won't see you, but uh, you'll hear from me in the next upcoming episode when I don't know who will be my guest. Oh, yes, I do. Actually, I do know who my guest will be next. Um, but uh, I'll save it for when, uh, when it comes up. So uh, at any rate, uh, live long and prosper.